Good evening, everyone. So we are celebrating today, the first Sunday of Advent, the beginning of the church's new liturgical year. And so normally we think, okay, well, baptism, I'm sorry, Advent is preparing ourselves for the birth of Jesus Christmas. And this is absolutely true. But then why is it every first Sunday of Advent, all the readings deal with the end of the world and the final judgment? We're not talking about the Blessed Virgin Mary or John the Baptist or the baby Jesus. We're talking about judgment. We're talking about the end of the world. And the reason is, is because Advent is the Latin translation of the Greek word parousia or perusia. I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm not exactly sure how you pronounce it. Which is a reference to the second coming of Jesus. When he comes back at the end of the time to judge the living and the dead. And throughout the history of the church, Advent, in a certain sense, is more about preparing for the last days than about Jesus' birth. Because Jesus is already born. He's already come. We're preparing for his final coming when we are going to have to face him and answer for the way we lived on earth. And so that's why all the readings have that pointing towards the end of time. This is what we're really about here. The first is in the book of the prophet Isaiah, centuries before Jesus, Isaiah the prophet issuing this first oracle about the heavenly Jerusalem. Talking about at the end of time, there's going to be this new Jerusalem that is going to be transformed where both Jew and Gentile will be welcome, pointing to what heaven will be like, what the next life will be like. St. Paul takes the more ethical dimension of that and is giving words that are very relevant for the time of the Romans and the early Christianity. Now, they believed, there was an idea that they believed, that Jesus was actually going to come back pretty soon. He wasn't going to wait thousands of years, if not millions or even billions of years. And so Paul was like, you people better get your stuff in line because Jesus is coming back soon. The message is still relevant for us today. As Christians, I understand that there are going to be temptations to lust. It's the part of the body that is the most affected by concupiscence. But Christians don't go out and party all the time and get drunk. They don't go out and constantly hook up with different people. They're not out making out with people and doing other sorts of things that we don't do. There's a certain sense of like, hey, I'm going to resist the temptation, but there's another, I'm going to live a party lifestyle. And the reality is, I usually blast the 9 p.m. mass, probably will blast the 9 p.m. mass later on today, depends on how I feel, but still, college students, you don't behave this way. We have a certain standard of ethical behavior. Just because everyone else is doing it, we don't. And so if all your friends are doing it, and you're tempted to do it, guess what? Find some new friends. Because Jesus is going to come back, and we are going to have to answer for our behavior. Simply put, high school students too. It also applies to you. It applies to all of us. And then finally, the Gospel of Matthew 
he couldn't be any clearer. Back in the days of Noah, everybody was partying and having a good time, and the judgment came down. The same thing could happen to us because we don't know when Jesus is going to come back. So stay awake. Quit goofing around. Pay attention because we are going to have to answer for our deeds. And this can be pretty frightening in the language that we hear in today's gospel. And in all the readings, Jesus is going to come back as a judge, and we're going to have to, one form or another, render account for our lives. And so throughout the history of the church, this final judgment has been interpreted in different ways. Starting from the Middle Ages and going from sort of centuries on, they saw it as the Day of Wrath. That song, the Dies Irae. Jesus is going to come back with a big bloody sword, lopping off heads, kicking behind, and taking names. Coming back to exact justice. And so we had better be watching our P's and Q's because it is that frightful day. It is going to be so scary. People are going to drop dead just thinking about it. And so the idea was, and this is not necessarily the teaching of the church, you better behave or you're going to get punished. Not, hey, you better behave because it's the right thing to do. You better behave or God is going to come and punch you in the teeth and send you to H-E double hockey sticks. And so if you realize that, and you see all these images of it, boy, oh boy, you are going to behave properly. It was like you were when you were a kid. You wanted to do the wrong thing, but you know you were going to have to go pick your switch. Or at least I had to pick my switch, and I'm sure a lot of you did too. You're going to get punished. You're going to feel the sting of the belt, or the hand, or the whatever, or the paddle. And so you didn't behave. This is one extreme, and while it's good, it keeps us in line, it's not necessarily the way that we really need to naturally interpret the last day, or the way we need to live, out of fear of punishment or fear of justice. It's not just ends up just being a sort of a following of rules. It's got to be something deeper. However, today, we tend to live, and believe me, it's Christians and Catholics, and I'm sure to a certain degree myself and other clergy too, we tend to live the exact opposite extreme. And maybe it's to a degree a reaction against the harshness that was present for so many centuries. And the fact that people aren't scared that Jesus is going to come back and that we're going to be judged and have to face uh, an account for our sins, no one really cares. Even amongst Catholics, no one thinks about this. No one thinks, you know, I'm going to die and I'm going to have to answer for my sins. We just kind of go about our lives. If we really think about it, many people will say, that's not really true. Jesus is not going to come down on the clouds. The bodies aren't going to come out of the earth. That's just a fanciful myth. It's just false apocalyptic talk. Or... We're so mired, as I was mentioned before, living in the flesh, whether it be the sinful debauchery that a lot of people like to live in, or we're just so caught up in the world that we've become spiritually apathetic. Talk about this enough. 
the number one capital sin of people today. It's a spiritual apathy. We got all our needs taken care of. Life is pretty easy. A spiritual life, thinking about right and wrong, about judgment, about death. We're never going to die. This is especially true when we're young, when we're high schoolers and college students. I was the same way. The reason I wanted to party, the reason I wanted to act like a fool, because guess what? I'm not going to die. Even if I do, it's so far away, I'll have a chance to repent. So let me go and do all kinds of things that I want to do now that I'm probably going to have to answer for. But eventually, Jesus is a nice guy. He's a pushover. I'll repent and everything's going to be fine. That's the other extreme. Now, if you had to choose an extreme between worrying about God coming down and punching you in the head and sending you to hell or not worrying at all, if you're going to pay attention, you'd probably want to take the first one. Because the first one at least helps you escape punishment. The second one, eh, it's going to be kind of a surprise on Judgment Day. If you die and you're not ready for it and you end up making a choice for the eternal life, it's kind of hot and lonely and miserable. But are those the only two ways? Is it either being scared of Jesus or not caring at all? What I want to advocate is there's another way, a third way to be able to move forward. And so as I was sort of preparing for today's homily, I was trying to read a couple of different things, and I stumbled upon a, a passage with Cardinal Ratzinger, Never Can You Go Wrong with Pope Benedict, Cardinal Ratzinger was his name before, talking about the end times and talking about how do we conceive it. Do we conceive it as God's coming back to, to kick behind and take names? He says in the early church, that's not the way they understood Jesus returning. When they thought of the end times and the last judgment, it wasn't in that way. They only came in the Middle Ages. And originally, the call for people believing that the end times were coming was the word Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. They wanted Jesus to come because they loved him, because they knew he was coming back to set things straight and to take the just and bring them to heaven. And it's time. It's time for all this garbage to be over. They wanted to see Jesus. So his eager anticipation of seeing the Lord, who they knew and they loved and they understood rose from the dead, and they wanted to be with him, particularly for the apostles who did know Jesus and who missed him when he left. It was the Maranatha. And so what was so central wasn't fear, fear of judgment, fear of this, this wrathful God coming, but instead it was a great hope that the Lord was going to return and bring them to heaven and to come as a merciful judge, one who understood our weakness and was there to show us mercy, which taints justice, and to bring us to eternal life. So listen to what Cardinal Ratzinger has to say. This is so beautiful. He says that it's not simply, as one might expect, God, the infinite, the unknown, the eternal who judges. On the contrary, he has handed the judgment over to one who is man, is our brother. Jesus is our brother. It is not a stranger who judges us, but he whom we know in faith. 
The judge will not advance to meet us as the entirely other, something scary, but as one of us who knows human existence from inside and has suffered. He knows how difficult it is. He knows what a struggle it is. And so he's come to judge us, yes, but to judge us mercifully. But he wants to see us at our hearts, hoping that he returns, waiting for him to come back. But to be able to do that, we've got to know him. You can't wait for someone to come back who you don't know, who you've never encountered, who you don't care about. But for those who really know Jesus, who have a prayer life, as difficult as things may be, their lives are governed by hope because they know who Jesus is and they know he's going to follow through on his promises and come back and to show mercy to those whom he loves. And so ultimately, Advent, while it is a season preparing ourselves for the ultimate second coming of Jesus, it's not a season of fear, but a season of hope. Hope not that things are going to become perfect on this world, that's false optimism, but that hope that Jesus is going to come back, and in the end, somehow it is all going to make sense, and this is so important for our world today, particularly for young people today, who I see are so often caught up in despair and a lack of hope. Their lives seem pointless. There's so much suffering and injustice in the world. They don't know where things are going. We've got to keep our eyes fixed on the prize. And the Lord will come back and set everything straight. And in the next life, it's all going to make sense. But without knowing Jesus, without a prayer life, without a relationship, there can be no hope. Because Jesus, the person, Son of God, who comes back on the last day as that just and merciful judge, He is our salvation. He is our hope. Amen.